This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 78. Man cannot discover new oceans unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. Thank you, Merchant Marines. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here today. Today's episode is really awesome for me. I am interviewing one of my best buddies, Michael Gordon Tennant. Michael, I have known since right around the dead end of 2007. Those of you that have been around for a little while know that I and my wife are into uh, the Baltimore scene of the swing dancing community, or at least were uh, really active in that community a little while back. And that is actually where I met Michael initially. He and I were two of the guys in the room that were some da- a couple of dancers, and we became pretty fast friends at the time. And Mike and I had an interesting friendship early on as he did with regards to his relationships with everyone in his life, because Mike is a merchant Marine graduate of the merchant Marine Academy up in New York. I don't recall which one there's a couple of them, but the, the nature of that friendship is Mike is around for three to four months and then he goes out to sea for three to four months and then back and forth and back and forth. And that's just sort of the natural life that he leads and led for roughly a decade of his life, maybe a little more than a decade of his life. Really interesting life experience, frankly, and unfortunately, I was going to say, but not really, the somewhat typical for people that are in that industry, they tend to come and go. And that has its effects on your finances, on your personal life, on a lot of different areas of life. But it also educates you in ways that you might not necessarily get if you are just sort of homebound for the balance of your life. You get to see a lot of things that a lot of us that are here in the States and don't really go anywhere get to see. I had a really great conversation with Mike. The main purpose of our conversation was the concept of the Jones Act. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Jones Act, but it has been in the news quite a bit in recent months as it would apply to getting goods shipped to, say, Puerto Rico or other areas that are sort of under the umbrella of the United States that were affected by hurricanes. You know, there's been a lot of criticism of it in the media, and I am part of that criticism. I was somebody that, as I understood the Jones Act, it was some nothing but sort of an arcane piece of legislation uh, dating back to World War One era that clearly in today's world of free trade was something that was doing nothing but hindering uh, human like hindering humanitarian aid for areas that were most hard hit by the most the most recent wave of hurricanes. Mike obviously dealing in this industry knows a hell of a lot more about this topic than I am than I do just based on my consumption of news. So, I asked him to come on the show and talk about it. I was a critic of this legislation. I am not so much anymore following our conversation, but obviously that it does come out sort of what my criticisms are during the show. I don't want to get too much into the details of it, but we have a really robust conversation, and this conversation runs nearly two hours, so I don't want to give too much away at this point. Clearly, we cover all of the bases in a show that long, so I will leave it to the conversation. 
Mike is phenomenal at explaining this type of stuff as well as in sort of the deviate deviated conversations that we get into as we tend to spin off topic, as you know and love me and uh, know that I do sometimes. With that said, without further ado, I bring you my good friend, Michael Gordon Tennant. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Michael. Jason, thanks for coming on the show, sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Now, um, obviously, you and I have known each other, as the audience just learned in the intro, that you and I have known each other for uh, 11 years. It's been a while, hasn't it? I'm old. Anyway, but <laughs> obviously- the best of us. <laughs> so true. But obviously, you're new to the audience, no, not, yeah. unless unless we have common people in the swing dance community that do listen. Which I surprise I, me. Would not surprise me. Yeah. I've had I've had several people in the from the dance community on the show before. Cool. Uh, Joe Hoffberg has been on here back in December. The, some young lady named Devin, who was a photographer, has been on here before. She was a wonderful guest. But that all said, people don't know you. So why don't you give the audience a little bit of a snapshot? Who the hell is Michael? What are you? What are you? He's like, who the hell is Michael? What are you doing here? How's it going? My name is Michael Gordon Tennant. I have been uh, in the shipping industry for uh, the past seventeen years. I uh, went to a place called the United States Merchant Marine Academy. Um, it's one of the five service academies, but the one that no one really knows anything Has ever heard about. Of. It's yeah. the redheaded stepchild of the uh, of the service academies because, well, it's. It's it doesn't have the prestige that Naval Academy has, and you know West Point has. Is it considered a uniform branch of service? No, okay. uh, uniform branch of service would be Navy, yep. Air Force, Army, Marine Corps, what have you. The Merchant Marines, we are part of the private industry, private sector. Okay. Uh, basically, Merchant Marines is. Anything that is transported from point A to point B across water on a boat, yeah. you are you are part of the merchant marines. Be that okay. on on a ship or on a, a tug and barge or you know something something of that nature, that is merchant marines. Now, why okay. why is that important? We're we're getting into the getting into the Jones Act, um, but let me uh, let me finish up about me. So For I sure. went to went to Kings Point. Got out in 2001. Where, uh, where's Kings Point? Kings Point's up in New York. Okay. Uh, up Long Island. Okay. So, uh, got out in 2001. I joined uh, a union, a union called MEBA, uh, Marine Engineers uh, Benevolence Association. Um, okay. It's an engineer's union that operates by... Marine-based engineer's union. Right. They, they have agreements with shipping companies to set up... Uh, the shipping companies with the the manpower that they need to man their ships. Um, everyone's heard of you know the captain and the chief mate and the second mate and the third mate. Mm. The the people that we've all watched Star Trek, right? So we yeah we, so we know the similar jobs, but right yeah. What we're what I'm dealing with, I was on the opposite side of things. Rather than being up on the bridge where I steer the ship and you know tie up the ship when it pulls into port, I'm the guy down the engine room. Okay. Who is you know the chief engineer, the first engineer? These guys are the ones who keep the lights on, keep the ship moving, and make sure the people living on board have all of the things they they need. So you are the guy. You're the guys that come off of a ship after six months, and you're actually snow white as opposed yes, to beautifully tanned. Yeah, beautifully yeah. tanned. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> 
Um, so think of a think of a ship as a floating town, mm-hmm. small town where you need to have certain things to live. We need to have power. Okay, we've got generators. We need to have water. All right, we've got you know we've got a potable water maker. We've got pumps that pressurize the system so that everyone's got water in their shower. We need to have a sewage system that processes everything, sends it over the you know. We However, need, way, yeah. We we need all of that stuff. So if you have a problem. At your house mm-hmm. or at, at your uh, where where you are right now, mm-hmm. you need to get something fixed in the uh, in one of your sinks. Mm-hmm. You call a plumber. Yep. Great. You have a power problem. You call an electrician. Yep. On ships, the engineers are the guys who you call. Okay. You say, hey, I've got, got a problem with my sink. Can you fix it? Not a problem. These guys come up and they, they have, to, have to be able to do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. So um, got out of school. Started shipping out, worked my way up to chief engineer, mm-hmm. uh, met my wife, uh, and she she said to me on date number three, I need someone who's going to be a little more local. And I said, oh, I've had this conversation before. I'm waiting for the, you're dumped. And it never came. In fact, she came, she said, would you come over here and sit next to me? I'm like, okay, I'm getting all kinds of mixed messages. Here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we uh, we continued dating while I finished up my uh my time out at sea, and then uh, I got a shoreside job. Um, right now, I'm working for one of the major shipping companies as a port engineer. I'm mm-hmm. the guy in the office who the guys in the ship call and say, "I've got a problem. Mm-hmm. I need your help to fix it. Can you set up, you know, uh, an expert in this kind of engine the, to come out and be, help us be fix at this, this next port, right?" Or get out here on a helicopter if it's an emergency. It's a real emergency. So that's that's what I do. And in addition to making the arrangements for these guys, making sure they get paid. The as I said, so we like, like that. We like you. they like you. They they. I'm one of the integral parts. Of, assuming you do your job. Assuming like I do my job. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not doing my job, people don't get paid, and pe- people stop showing up. <laughs> so. Yeah, I've uh, I've been part of the maritime industry for for a while now, and um, we're here to talk about the Jones Act. Yeah. So Jones Act of nineteen twenty, it let's uh, let's backtrack just for a sec. When, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the phrase that we don't fight the war that we're fighting, or we don't prepare for the war that we're fighting. We prepare for the last war that we fought. Mm-hmm. That's why the Jones Act was set up okay. after after. World War One. They said, "All right, okay. we we need to make sure that we have a way of getting our goods to wherever the war is, and the way to do that is to send it by ship. Any other way of transporting something is more expensive. For sure, the 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 water is the the cheapest way to get anything from point A to point B. If if I want to send this watch." Uh, from here to, to Florida, to Florida. Yeah. if I was to send it by, by plane, let's say it costs a dollar. Mm-hmm. If I sent it by truck, let's say it costs a penny. Mm-hmm. If I sent it by ship, it would cost 0.0001 cents. So it's really, really more efficient to send something across the water. It's going to take a lot more time than a truck or a, or a plane, but it still gets there, and it's done for a lot cheaper and in much higher volume. Because because ge- generally, the, if any if anybody can envision a super tanker, like uh, there's no room for a super tanker sized truck 
on right. any highway on the planet yeah, or true. a train. Like the, I mean, trains can be long, but even the longest of these convoy trains that we get parked in for forty five minutes on the on a road as they're crossing, that still probably represents. Five percent of what can go onto one of these ships, maybe. I've seen, I've seen those those trains be like a mile long, and mm-hmm. if you've got like tankers, yeah, tankers, tankers and, and whatnot, yeah. they they're not to the capacity of a ship. Yeah, I'll, I'll say right yeah, now, they're quite they're, a lot. They're, but they're quite they're a, lot, a lot. But, but I yeah, mean, these ships are the size of we're, we're not talking even small cities in some cases, right? Like most of the ships I've been on have been anywhere between six hundred feet to eleven hundred feet. So we're talking a decent sized vessel and tonnage of cargo can be in, oh. the, in ships like this can be what like thousands of metric tons like I, that that's, so whatever tons we're talking metric tons like thousands yeah. of metric tons yeah, yeah just okay so we're, we're talking about a lot of a lot of cargo and it's being sent via ship uh, i could pull out my phone and show you the uh the ship tracker app that i've got on there mm-hmm. when you zoom out and look at the world there's a lot of <laughs> ship traffic out there. People, sure. people don't realize. There's a great book that I have upstairs called 90% of Everything. It talks about how uh, the containerization, they didn't always have these containers that fit on the backs of truck chassis mm-hmm. that they would pick up and put on ships. It used to be that everything was either a tanker or a bulker or dry cargo where you would have to have people to come on board, pick up the pick cargo, up the table. Right, like, and, yeah. and put it onto a crane and get it off. And then someone would take it off of that. It Shipping. The shipping container, the invention of the shipping container. That changed the world. Let's yeah. say if I had this dry cargo ship where I had to offload a table and a bushel of, you know, grain, whatever, yeah. it would take about two weeks to offload and then two weeks to load. That same amount of cargo, if it's all put in containers, mm-hmm. can be loaded up in an, in an evening. Most Jesus. the the longest port stay that my ships have that I'm in charge of two days. My God, that's it. That's and incredible. we're talking most of most of what they have on board is getting off, and they're loading it up with fresh stuff. So, and that's that's not just offload; that's offload, reload, and dis- and, and dispatch. Yes, Jesus. So okay, we're, we're talking a lot of stuff, and it's all happening quickly because of these containers. The, the shirt that I'm wearing, the shirt that you're wearing, more than likely these spent some time some on, a ship. on a ship. Yeah. You know, anything that says made in Taiwan, made in Korea, how did it get here? Mm-hmm. It didn't pay to put it on a plane mm-hmm. and fly it here. It didn't, there were no truck lanes to mm-hmm. get it across the ocean. Someone put it on a ship to get it. Or if you bought something, if you bought something, and you can see that you know you can see that it originated or it was shipped from, say, China or Taiwan or whatever. It's like you're you buy you buy a nine you buy a nineteen dollars shirt and you're paying twenty seven dollars shipping. Mm-hmm. And it's like okay, if you want to pay, if you want to tack on a hundred and fifty percent to the price of everything, sure, we can put everything on a plane. Sure, you know for sure we can put everything on a plane, but so. Uh, you have uh, you have the setup after World War One where they said, okay, one of our biggest problems was we didn't have the sea lift capacity. Mm. We, we didn't have enough ships to get cargo from point A to point B. And in World War One, that that case was basically getting 
getting stuff from Here, U.S. To Europe, to, to Europe to Western Europe. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a big to do because we we have been very lucky to have lots of natural resources for sure. And when an entire continent is busy busy fighting a war, yeah. you don't have the people available to go. You know. Pick the fruits and vegetables the fruits and farm, to anybody, you know, yeah. cut down the trees and turn it into lumber. You need yeah. someone who's n- not in the war <laughs> the to far- do that for the you. Forests that, the forests that are that are generally available for lumber are currently getting blown up, blown up, blown yeah. up every night by artillery. So there goes what would have been the next decades worth of lumber of lumber supplies for that continent. Yeah. So someone realized that okay, in order for us to be able to fight traditional war. We need to have access to to ships. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Ships are often around. Can't we just grab any old ship? Yeah. Well, no, we can't grab a foreign ship because what if that ship is owned by the com- country I, that we are that fighting, fighting against? Or allied, at least, with the ship. Right. We're fighting. You or whatever. No, that if that's the case, yeah. then we need to have our own ships that we trust, that mm-hmm. we can... We can set up, but it's not just the ships. It's also the Mm know-how. So one of the things that they they wrote into the Jones Act was if you're going to be traveling from a U.S. port to a U.S. port, you have to be an American-built ship. You need to be... ship, okay. You have to be an American-flagged ship. That means it is majority owned by an American company. It is operated by an American company, and it is manned by American sailors. Okay. That's a tall order these days because America That's if it's going to and from an American port. Correct. Not necessarily from foreign to American or from American to foreign. That's how they get around it. If I'm going from on a ship or a plane, if I'm going on a a foreign foreign flagged ship or plane that's going into New York Mm. and I want to go up to Boston... If it's a foreign flag vessel of any kind, it needs to go up to Canada and then go down to Boston because that's how they get around it. It's, <laughs> okay. You know, for, for every rule, you're going to find someone who, who for sure. can make a loophole or find the loophole. For sure. So they set this up saying, okay, here's, here's what we need to do for security. For American security, we are going to make it so that we have – have these ships that are going to be American manned, American made, yada, yada. The idea behind it wasn't just that we need to be able to to man the ships. We also need to be able to make the ships. Mm-hmm. During World War II, we realized in a hurry that we don't have enough ships to get all the cargo over there. Partially, we didn't have enough. And partially, the Germans were really, really good. Good in the water. Sinking these things. Yeah. They set up the U boats. U boats, yeah. And were just dropping these things mm-hmm. not quite as fast as we could make them because we got really good at making them. Yeah. They were they were slapping some of these ships together. The the uh, Liberty ships. We have one here in Baltimore, the John W. Brown. Oh, is that the two the the gray ones? The gray the one. Yeah. The, not the two gray ones. The the old gray one. That's the John W. Brown. Okay. That, that one was one of the ones that they were slapping together. They got they got so good at putting these things together. They were able to pump out close to one a day. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. 
So the way you're able to do that, is, and I'm sorry, real quick, ahead. you mentioned you mentioned some of the ships that you're dealing with that you've been on, sure, 600 to 1100 feet, sure, the ones that they're slapping together during World War II. I imagine not nearly to that not scale, the, not to that scale, the but John w. to what Brown, roughly? To John roughly w. what scale? Brown was about 400 feet. That's pretty like. still pretty still goddamn oh, oh, pretty yeah. goddamn big. Yeah. This is these are ships. Like yeah. difference between a ship and a boat. I was like going to ask like that. That's always that. There's always a variety of answers to that question. The the one You're I the heard first was, sailor that I've asked that question the, to. The way it was explained to me, a boat is something that can be picked up and put onto another another vessel okay a ship is something that's so big it's it, there's yeah. yeah like you're not going to pick this thing up and travel with it like ship is effectively aircraft carrier ship right yeah the destroyer that's sitting next to it like the, the only about, yeah, yeah. the only thing that's going to pick this thing up is something that's specifically designed to pick up ships yeah so yeah <laughs> they, they've got them the ships that go into dry dock they they just bring this thing in, and all of a sudden, the whole thing just starts lifting out of the water. It's the coolest thing to see. But mm-hmm. um, so you've got these, you've got these ships, and you need to be able to man them. Okay. I saw that one time in Nor- at Norfolk. Oh yeah, one time where they were actually raising one of the, one of the big naval vessels out of the. I'm like, how? How? What? Never mind. Just the scale. Just the scale. Yeah, like the the mind, bo- like the power that it would take mm-hmm. to do. Just yeah. Anyway, so. You're not only uh, they're not only setting it up so that we have American sailors who will man these things. They're also setting it up so that we have American workers who are skilled enough to build ships. If, mm. if you know, build and it hit the fan. If if we stop building ships today, because mm. it's way more expensive to have American workers for sure build these things because it's a higher cost of living in the u.s yeah We're, i mean that ba- the, that's the basis of free that's free the trade. that's right. the basis of the the baseline argument for free trade is right. it's more expensive like it's more expensive for them to build stuff here to build anything to build anything here yeah. because it costs more to live here than it does to live anywhere else so, with singapore not 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 necessarily included right or yeah so <laughs> when when a lot of these rules were written up. You had people who were forward thinking. They were saying, okay, we're not just talking about being able to do it right this minute. We have to think about the future. Mm. The way you keep people with these skills is you keep them employed. Mm. Now, how are we going to guarantee that, you know, shipbuilders, that someone who knows how to weld, that someone who's a machinist, that someone who knows how to put together a a steering gear for a massive ship. Mm. How do we guarantee that these American workers maintain their skills? Well, you keep them employed. Mm. And the way to guarantee that is to set up this law that a lot of people, John, John McCain specifically, just doesn't doesn't like, like because, yeah. oh, well, you're causing undue, undue stress, causing undue expense on, you know, this, that, and the other. I understand that, but if it goes away, if it goes away tomorrow and suddenly we end up in a war that we weren't expecting and mm. we don't have these these people with these skills because they had to go find a different job, mm. we're we're out of luck. We can't these aren't things that you can just learn overnight. A lot sure. of these oh, skills sure. are built they're the, these people learn how to do this over a career. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can train new people in how to weld and they can get proficient enough at it. But sure. you at least need the one guy yeah. who's very good you at it. You need the supervisor. You, you, exactly. you need the guy that's the head of the shop right. that, to make sure that the new guys aren't, aren't going to sink a 600-foot 
long ship because they missed they missed a rivet. Exactly. Got it. Now here, though, my okay. So my question is that one of the arguments that I've heard against the concept of the Jones Act isn't. It's actually a very interesting argument because it's sure. not. It's not against the concept. It's not against that reasoning for the Jones Act. It's sure. just more of a modification of it. Yeah. Things are more things are expensive because it's open to the free like it's more expensive because it's open to the free market. Mm-hmm. The way that you're describing to me the the reason for having the Jones Act is that's a national security issue. Makes total sense. Yeah. That's the government's job. So with it being the government's job, instead of setting it up the way that it is, because Kind of the root of why I asked you before, like, is it is it a arm? You know, is it a uniform? Is the Merchant Marine Academy a uniformed part of the uniformed armed services, or is it private? You mentioned that it's private. If it's private, that that's that's a private industry. Per, like, let, let me. There, uh, let me there, these are public companies. I'm assuming in a lot of cases, yeah. there there are stockholders. Their job is to make money. Mm-hmm. My question is, why isn't this? If it's so critical from that angle, if that's the reason. Why not have the federal? Why not go to the next step and say, okay, the U.S. merchant fleet is I'm making up numbers here, five thousand ships. It might be five hundred million ships. I have no earthly goddamn idea how many it is, but I mean, can you can you speak to that? Like, if for the for the boats for the ships, pardon me, for the ships that fall into the Jones Act, the mm-hmm. quote-unquote Jones Act ships, for, yeah. for I don't know how better to describe them, the ones that fit this category that qualify for this. Mm-hmm. Are we talking 500 ships? Are we talking less 50? Or like, are we talking, you know? Between 100 and 200 ships. Okay, so of those 100 to 200 ships, is there are, there are government bureaucrats that are very, very good at, at statistics and forecasting and math based on history. Sure. Why don't we say appoint some sort of a congressional panel to come up with a number to meet what they would envision would be a worst case scenario military usage of these ships? That number is what? Is it 200? Is it maybe 40 or whatever? If it is, let's national, frankly, let's nationalize 40 ships. And all of the people that work for them and overpay them like a son of a bitch to make sure that they never go anywhere and that we bring in new people to make sure that they never go anywhere and then privatize the other 160, drop the cost, and then do away with the concept of the Jones Act. Let anybody ship anywhere, anything, but just let the government pick up the tab on effectively the military usage of these ships. What's the the argument against doing it that way? Is it just... For for one thing, yeah, they they've already done it. Like okay. the the military already or the government already owns a a fleet of of vessels that they have set up for sea lift capacity. Mm-hmm. I've worked on ships yeah. that were the army ships sh- ships shit by boat. Like they they yeah yeah they can't get a lot of their stuff. A lot of uh, a lot of things are move can be moved by military vessels, mm-hmm. uh, military or the government owned vessels that mm-hmm. are either run by the military or mm-hmm. run by private like sailors Navy such or as army myself. Or whatever, yeah, uh, navy they are their own entity. Mm-hmm. Like they generally they leave the the shipping of of cargo to to private industry because they have a specialized set of skills they have to be able to you know run military exercises answer to you know mil- military uh, requirements and whatnot um 
but the uh, the merchant merchant marine fleet they have a different goal. They they are there to move cargo from point A to point B. They don't get into it about you know oh military protocol is this. They don't care. They don't get into it. But yeah. uh, back to your question, the government already owns a whole bunch of vessels that okay. they they own. They operate. It is very expensive. Okay. To uh, to own a ship and just keep it up, not even operate it, oh, just sure. to just the upkeep. Sure. These ships require a lot of money. Sure. Um, and that's that's for ships that aren't going anywhere. To yeah. have a ship that's actually going somewhere, the only way you're able to offset the cost is to have some kind of influx of revenue. Okay. Shipping companies, they already do that. Now, why why doesn't the government just say, okay, we're going to operate these because it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. It would ju- it would be it would add to the already astronomical cost of the military spending that we already do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone wants to get into that because it's so we're ta- we're not the the scale on which we're talking about when it comes to a ship, everything has to be up to a certain specification. Everything has to be safe. Everything has to be properly done because you're talking about people's lives. Sure. If a ship isn't built properly, it could break in half, and suddenly you've got. 20 people sitting out in the middle of the ocean waiting for someone to come rescue them. So yeah, best case scenario. Like, yeah. Right. So um, why would they not just say we're going to nationalize these? Because it would be so, it would be prohibitively expensive. Now, would they nationalize it in a time of emergency, in a time of war? Maybe they would. But, I mean, that's what they did. I mean, that, oh, yeah. that's what happened in World War II, didn't, for the most part. I mean, that's there, there's, a re, there's a reason that there were no... Fords, you know, like there, there were no Ford Chevys or, you know, Chryslers built during World War II. Like those factories were effectively nationalized. They had to change their priorities and yeah. to build what they knew they had to build. Yeah. That was one of the things that helped win the war because, mm-hmm. you know, for every... Every <clears throat> ten tanks that get blown up, somehow there's always an eleventh tank that yep, just goes over just the keeps, hill. It just and keeps coming. Where do yeah. they get these things from? Because yeah. we had the resources, we had the manpower. Mm. Also, we had the the wet the method of which to get these ships across mm. across you know an entire ocean to wherever they needed to go. Which you know fighting fighting against a one fighting a one sided battle. Where we were fighting against an enemy that was the only, they were the only ones that had superior water, you know, underwater capabilities. Right. Yeah. So we had we we learned during World War Two that merchant marine is very important, mm-hmm. and if we get caught with our pants down by not having the people who know how to build these things and not have the people who know how to man them, you can have all the ships you want, but it's like having a fleet of Ferraris and no one's got a driver's license. Mm. What's the, what, what type of scale with regards to employment are we talking about with a, with a slimmed down version of it? Let, let's go with the example that I was mentioning. Like all of the, all of the quote unquote Jones act ships mm. are, let's call it 200 of them. Okay. In the case of an, in the case of a national emergency, a legitimate, say two sided war. What's mm. the, what's the, what's the premise that they use at the department of defense? The, there's a, um, there's a there there's a ter- there's a preparedness level. There, the there, assets that they have there, on hand. There, yeah, there's a preparedness level. Basically, they have to be effectively. They have to be prepared for 
one of two, like, not one, but two Gulf War-sized conflicts right. at any given time. So, okay, using that cap, using that calculus, that would likely require, again, I'm making up a number, 50 of those 200 ships. Sure. The operation of those 50 ships, each ship costs a million dollars a year to operate, a hundred million dollars a year to operate. I mean, 20 salaries. I mean, speaking as a taxpayer, mm-hmm. I'll pay 20 salaries a year. You know, 20, 20, you know, 20 salaries isn't that much. But then let, let's back up. That's the operating crew for while it's right. on the water. Right. The, the, the size of the crew that it takes to build a ship like that is different, different hundreds story. and hundreds, I'm sure. Yeah. But then how often are they being built? Like right. the Of that 200, how long are these ships typically in service? But, uh, from 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 build to scrap, how long are they typically in service? Anywhere between ten to twenty years. Okay, That's, so not terribly not terribly long. Right. Okay. Ships that last longer than that were either really well made or really well maintained. Okay. But they have to maintain a certain certain level of uh, quality throughout their career by having to answer to a classification society who comes on board and they. They, you know, say, oh, this isn't up to spec. This isn't up to spec. Fix that right now. And Mm. Coast Guard. Coast Guard comes on board and does the same thing. My industry changed a lot when the Alfaro sank. The Mm. Alfaro was an American ship, American flagged, American owned, American crewed. And all those guys went down with the ship. When when was this? What was the situation? This was about two years ago. Uh, The Alfaro is a container ship. And it sank... uh, because it went through a hurricane over uh, in the in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. um, I read the read the reports about the chain of things that went wrong. They didn't check the the weather often enough. They didn't change their change their direction, and the, they ended up being right underneath right the in the smack dab's eye of the hurricane. Yeah, and then when they when they went to get out of the way. The main engine broke down, and they were just stuck. Sitting up, yeah. the The engineers were doing their doing their best to fix it, but trying to change a piston when the piston is as, as you know as wide as my hands can stretch out. Yeah. The we're talking about a lot of some heavy metal while it's being, while it's swinging being, while it's being tossed around in a hurricane. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it. It's a it's a dangerous dangerous place to be in the sure. best of times. Sure. So that's why these guys are are paid a, a well. D- sure. Generally speaking, they're paid well because you're not paid for necessarily what you do. You're paid for what you can do. What could happen? Yeah. You are you're paid for your experience, and you're also paid for the fact that you don't get to go home every night. Yeah. These guys go out to sea for three to four months at a shot. Mm-hmm. And then they have three to four months off. So you know, I remember that was that was your life when that, you and I first met for that years. Was, I mean, for I years. would you know, it was like oh Mike's back, like in in from the dancing scene. It's like oh Mike's back, and you're back you're back for a while. You're showing up at all the stuff, and then mm-hmm. you throw a party at your house when you're going away, and then it's poof, like, Mike's gone for six months. You know, yeah. four or five months or yeah. whatever it is, and then you come back. That, white, very, 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 very pale, white. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's because uh, that's that's my life. I go to work every day. Yeah. I don't have weekends off. I yeah. am at work for three to four months solid. Now, on on a trip, if you don't mind me, like like digging into it, like dur- during that stretch, 
is that on one boat? Yes. On one trip? Or is that basically you're assigned to a boat and you're going from, say, Florida to Europe, checking in, to South America, checking in, to Asia, checking in? And like, are you con- are you out of sight of land for four months? Uh, or not not for four months solid. The, okay. the the ships I've worked on, they are they're merchant ships. They get paid for moving cargo from point A to point B. You gotta you gotta touch yeah. land, gotta and get, drop off the get cargo, the and pick yeah. up the cargo at some point. Yeah. So Can, one uh, downside of cont- of these shipping containers, they don't float well. No, so. they they do not. So <laughs> uh, working on you know bulkers where we offloaded cargo and you know. In Israel, that was cool. We had five days to go ashore and go see the see the countryside. Container ships, they don't get five days; they get two max. That's yeah. about it. But uh, thanks, no, to, I, thanks, thanks to efficiency, right. you get two days. Yeah. So uh, no, I would be I would be going going to going ashore whenever I could, you know, just to go grab a beer because most yeah. uh, most shipping companies are dry. Yeah, they're dry. They say, okay, if you're going to be on board. You're not allowed to drink anything because yeah, you're working twenty four. You're effectively on the clock twenty four seven. Exactly. So yeah. it's a, you know, it sounds sounds like a great idea until <laughs> you have a really hard day and you're like, man, I could really. I just use a goddamn beer. Yeah. <laughs> so um, no, when uh, when I was out at sea, I was was in port. You know, lots of pull ups, a lot of pull ups. Well, do because I was something. Oh, there's lots her. lots of stairs. Um, <laughs> One thing we we always did was we'd exchange music, we'd exchange movies. Now that when the with the advent of uh, external hard drives, yeah. people had had all kinds of movies. They had you know entire series of TV shows. So you'd get back to your room at the end of the day, and be like, "Oh, I'm gonna put on you know Game of Thrones." Six hours of Game of Thrones. Six yeah. hours later, you're like, "Man, it's four in the morning. I should go to sleep, shouldn't I?" Yeah, um, but and then the bell goes off because the something went, went 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 to shit in the engine room, mm-hmm. and there you are for the next ten hours. <laughs> yeah. it, it happens to the best of us. Sometimes you have a good day, sometimes not so much. But, yes, uh, yeah. Hmm. When I would when I was shipping out, uh, hence, ships, the, hence the beer that may or may not be there. That's true. Yeah. So these uh, these ships they pull into port. You know, depending on what their schedule is. Some ships are on a regular schedule. Some ships are called tramp ships. They go wherever their the own cargo home. is yeah. needed. Right, so, they, so there's ones based on fixed routes, and then there's ones that are effectively emergent, quote unquote, emergency on call or whatever. It whatever, is. yeah. So the ships I was working on, they were there's on a, a hurricane here that was unexpected. We need yes. to we need to send we need to send a little bit more drywall to this region than we normally would. Hurricane relief, where yep. we need you to go down here right now. Hey, send that hospital ship down there. That kind of stuff. Got yeah, it. that happens. The ship I was I had was very lucky in that I had a permanent job for a number of years, so I kept going back to the same ship. Same ship, okay. Which meant that I was gaining more and more experience on mm-hmm. that ship, which allowed me to rise through the ranks and become a chief engineer. I was the guy who knew the most about the vessel mm-hmm. because I kept going back. Depending on where the ship was, when it was you know my my counterpart's time to get off. Mm-hmm. They would fly me out to wherever the ship was. Mm. If it was over in Yokohama, Japan, they'd fly me into Yokohama. I'd get on board. The other guy who'd been on for three or four months, he'd go home and I'd be at work. Off you go. So, yeah, that was uh, that was how my my job experience went for the past couple of years. Mm. And that was that And was that good. was from 2001-ish? Through... Uh, no, I was... was w- 
When you first start out with the union, you are at the bottom of the totem pole. So mm-hmm. finding a permanent job, if you're lucky, you can find one. Oh, I did, I'm sorry. I didn't mean necessarily permanent with the one ship. I meant the 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 you're on a ship and you're three months, three to four on, three to four off. That was what started for you in 2001. Right. Through till about when? Uh, probably about... When, when, your, when your lovely wife told you not to? Yeah. Which was roughly... She told me not to uh, around 2012. And so okay, around so about, 2013, about I got a shoreside job working on a, one of the government vessels. Okay, one, so 12 years you did that. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I got on a vessel that was paid by the government to maintain it. We didn't take it out every every day. We took it out once a year for about a week to do a sea trial, make mm. sure that the thing can go through its paces, make sure everything works properly. And if anything's not, at least we know, hey, this is this is messed up. I need to address this right now. Okay. So I uh, was working on this vessel for about two years and... Uh, Found out that the ship was leaving leaving Baltimore, and I said, "Well, I don't want to. I don't want to leave Baltimore. Baltimore. I like it here." So yeah, yeah, I found a found a different job that allowed me to work in work in an office. Now that that exact scenario mm. is what I was just sort of thinking or talking about with regards to the sort of the an, the anti Jones Act argument is exactly that. It yes. like effectively the, their job is to keep the boat, own the boat. And to pay a lot of money for people to treat it as if it's being com- effectively treated as if it's being commercially used, but don't just maintain it and keep it alive. In it's like in kind of like kind of like the fire extinguisher at the bottom of the staircase. Like you know you you pay a lot of it's like you pay a lot of money for it. Christ, you hope you never use it, but it's down there in case of emergency. Break glass. Like well, let's, the, let's, that times the fifty is kind of what I was thinking. How is what they're doing with that one different than? How would be doing what I was talking about earlier be different than what's already being done there? This is this is definitely part of what you were talking about. They they're doing that. It's they're, just not, but it's just not enough. Uh, part of the problem is the manpower it would take to get all these people going because you're not you're not just going to send someone out and say you stay on this ship and work twelve hours a day every day, no weekends. Mm-hmm. Until the war is over. <laughs> people people need to change out. This sure. is a strenuous job. And without weekends, people get burnt out. Sure. So you need to have two people for every billet. For every job. Every ship. Yeah. So they they have... You a, said for every billet? Every billet. That means okay. every job on Got every it. ship. Okay. So... Uh, Just for terminology for people listening. Right. Okay. So, so for every, every job on board the ship, from the captain all the way down to the cook... You have to have two guys. That's very insulting to cooks. Anyway, no. Well, I know different different department. Um, So from the captain all the way down to the ordinary seaman, someone who has has no experience on board ships, who just got basic life saving. You have uh, you have these guys who have have this uh, have this experience. You need to have. Two of each. Mm-hmm. So multiply that by your 50 ships. Let's say we've got 20 guys. Times two is 40. Mm-hmm. Times 50. Uh, yeah. Got so it. we're we're talking about a fair amount Couple of people. Thousand, yeah. Right. We don't have... We would be very lucky if we had that many people to go out and get on these ships. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of, a lot of people uh, retire. 
Mm-hmm. They're still capable of doing the job, but they're tired. Yeah, they, they don't want to stay on it. They don't want to live on the goddamn ship. Right. <laughs> they've, been, yeah. they've been li- they've been living this life for thirty years, and they're like, you know what? I've earned my time off. I'm gonna go yeah. go home and you know relax a bit. Yeah. So we we do have lots of people who have the skills to get on these ships, but unless we call them out and say, hey, it's war. We need you to get on board, which is what we did during you know what we're t- yeah the the Persian Gulf. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gulf War One, Gulf War Two, you know that kind of stuff. We we broke a lot of people out of retirement and said we need you to get on board these ships because you guys are the only ones who know how to get them up and running. We're not we're not talking about and at what at at that point like they're that's not nationalized. That's I mean the, you go into these guys in retirement and you're asking like they're not yeah. being drafted per se. They're effectively not being drafted per se. We, we have not done a draft since uh, since Vietnam. Correct. That well, military service, but right. like, is there is there a is there a clause in the private contracts with some of these companies that effectively says, sure, you can, similar to um, non-active reserve in the military, it's like, sure, you're retired, but if the shit hits the fan in the next ten years, you're coming back. We're going to pay you. We're going to pay you well. Right. But you are coming back. Like, is there anything like that in some of the contracts that these mm-hmm. guys sign or? Uh, not that I know of. Okay. There, there, there could be, but I, I don't. I, you didn't. Don't, sign. I, I didn't sign anything like that. When I was in, uh, when I went to Kings Point, I was in the United States Naval Reserve. Okay. So everyone wears a Navy uniform. Everyone's going to get out of school with a Naval Reserve. Oh, that's it. I didn't know. Okay. You can go into... Any branch you want to, but everyone's going to come out as an officer in the Navy at bare minimum. Okay. So uh, when I was so in ensign, the Navy... ensign, I assume? Or I'm sorry? Ensign, I assume? Yeah. When okay. I got out, I was an ensign. So uh, I had to be in the Naval Reserve for eight years. Yep. And that is their way of saying, okay, if anything happens, I can always call you and you're say... Out. You're, you're out. Yeah. yeah. You're in the Naval Reserve. We need your skills on board this ship. Pack your stuff. You're going. Which may and that makes total sense to me. That mm-hmm. makes absolute sense to me. The the and because and that's the labor force too. That's the that's the young tw- the early twenties. That's the, that's the military age labor force that they right. would need in a scenario like that. Absolutely. Yeah. These guys they will they will handle the majority of the jobs, but you still need the higher ups, and that's perhaps more than eight years of experience. Like most captains and chief engineers, they've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. Like I. I think I got on board as a chief engineer my first time probably in 2010, 2011. So, okay, it was so almost nine or 10 years. Yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, – you can have these guys for the, the lower lower ranking jobs. You can pull them out and say – They're ours. You yeah. guys are ours. But the, the experienced guys, you need, to, you need to find them. And okay. one of the things that – uh, the Coast Guard is able to do is maintain these guys because we have to go to the Coast Guard to get our credentials. Mm. Uh, if I'm a if I'm a captain or if I'm a chief engineer, the Coast Guard's the Coast one Guard that says that you can. Yeah, right, you are qualified yeah. to to hold this job. And if the if the military ever needed to find everyone who's got a chief engineer's license, they can call up the Coast Guard and say, "Send us a list. G- give me the list. Give me yeah. all these guys' names. Give me all their addresses. I need to get them on the phone and now." Knock, knock, knock. Right. Yeah. So they could. They, yeah. They definitely could. Um, within well, that eight, within that eight years, but after that. Well, I'm I'm saying after after that, once once you're no longer in the reserves, 
you still have to go to the Coast Guard to get your credentials okay. to, mm. to sail. Like they are okay. our version of the DNV or the yeah. MVA. MVA, yeah. So I need to go to go to them to get my license to sail. Okay. So if whether you're sailing for the government or sailing for, for a private company. For, yeah. for private. Yeah. To have a American merchant mariner's credential, you need to go through the Coast Guard to get it. And if anything happened, even if I'm not in the Naval Reserve, they still have my number. And now, dumb, dumb question because you sure. know I'm kind of a dummy. The that does that also apply, say, to naval captains and engineers and whatnot? Because it's technically, question. it's a it is a ship. It's like it is a boat is. that's it's, in the U.S. that's leaving port, piloted by an American citizen. Do does that captain still need to get credentialed effectively by yes. the Coast Guard? The short short answer is yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this very. Uh, tactfully because I have a lot of respect for uh, people in the military and what they do, but it doesn't cross over perfectly. The guys who work on ships that are Navy vessels, they have to be able to be a deck officer, an engineering officer, or a tactical officer. So they have to be trained in a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. A lot of what happens on Naval vessels is people get very specialized. You, sure. you know, one guy is the the guy who knows you're the how com- to do you're it. the comm officer. You're you're, you're the, the guy yeah. who deals with pumps. You're the guy who deals with the sewage system. You're the guy who deals with the generators. Yeah, people get specialized. Uh, in my line of work, you have to know it all. Mm-hmm. You, when you're on a naval vessel, they've got twenty people plus up on the bridge. Mm-hmm. In on merchant ships, two. The captain and whoever, whatever the mate on watch is, or and the uh, and the unlicensed. Okay. So what does that mean? Unlicensed is the equivalent of a non-commissioned officer. Okay. Like so, you've got your you got your ensign of the of the watch, and you've got you know whoever the the private is who's, who's, who's on watch with them. Okay. So that's that's the equivalent. So on the the military, they've got you know a. Pl- a lot of people up on the bridge. Mm. The Merchant Marines, they got two people up on the bridge. On a bridge, it's probably roughly the same size. Probably roughly the same, same operation. Like, short of weapons. Like, like all, all, the short change. of weapons, the, 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 all of the same operating systems coming out of the bridge. That's the big difference. They have to know about military tactics, which we have no idea about. But we know a lot about how to how to maneuver into a port, how to communicate with the the ship that's next to us. You hear about ships colliding with other ships; it's because they weren't able to communicate properly. Mm-hmm. If you and I are getting too close to each other, there's a lot of ocean out there. We're getting too close to each other. Something's wrong. Wrong. Sure. I I need to get on the get on the radio and say, "Hey, here's my intention. I need you to either." turn out of the way or slow down a little bit so I can pass you. Mm-hmm. If they say, no, I'm here's my intention, I need you to either turn or slow down. Okay, not a problem. You guys need to figure it out. Yeah. I, I would rather slow down and let you go ahead yeah. than, than try and you know cut the line because if we collide, we're talking millions of dollars. Millions and tens of millions of dollars in damage, lost property, lost lives. Lost time yeah. because... For one of the big things with shipping companies is the schedule. The schedule is where you make your money. If you are a reliable shipping company and you say, I'm going to have this watch to you by Friday, 
and it doesn't show up until Saturday. Well, then what did I pay? You, you just pay? lost. Yeah, you, you just lost how many millions of dollars in sales right. because yeah. So they they are all about you know getting the sh- getting the ship there and getting it there safely. They don't worry about weapons and whatnot. So mm. the the merchant ships are a lot smaller. The military vessels they've got five hundred people on board, and merchant <laughs> vessels have have twenty. Mm-hmm. So people, but are, the size of these ships are like the size of these ships are are comparable though. They can they, be, like, yeah. They can but be. but then again, again, I guess, I guess from the from that from that perspective, you know, an oil tanker and an aircraft carrier, maybe roughly the same gross tonnage. I, mean, I the, would say aircraft carriers more. But far, you know, yeah. But be, but re, but regardless, regardless, that, that we, ship is filled with decks and people and planes and whatever, whereas. You know the ta- the tanker or like the tanker. You've got ninety percent of the volume of that entire ship is it's cargo is liquid is liquid petroleum or right. cargo containers or whatever. So it's you don't need people in that in that mass, right? So all of the people on board that that aircraft carrier, they're all making a basic living. Maybe it's not a lot, but every single person on board is making making a couple of bucks. Sure. You add that up over the you know full size of the navy size of the size of that ship alone yeah that's a lot of money yeah. and then you add into it everything else that goes along with it the fuel mm-hmm. all of the all of the food that they need all of the you know incidentals like toilet paper mm-hmm. and soap you add all that stuff up and it's expensive yeah. to run a vessel yeah it's amazing it's amazing how much toilet paper 5000 men use on, oh. on a daily basis so you know? if, if you're if that money is just going out and it's not getting anything in like when a when a container ship or a, an oil tanker pulls into port they're getting paid, paid. because they just and paid well they get yeah. paid well because they just moved something that not really many others could move mm-hmm. you want this much oil moved from here to here yeah unless we start putting a, a an oil pipe from here to there yeah tanker's the way to go yeah so yeah we've got this cost to pay all these, people? is there a talk? Is there talk of that at all? Like the, the there's no, we're we're running everything else on the goddamn planet along the ocean floor, you know, across the oceans now. Like communication, communication lines, internet connectivity, tunnels, you know, going through the English Channel. Like, are we putting oil in like oil tanker li- oil lines sub sub ocean? I'm gonna say no. Yeah, just because I would think no, I would Christ, I would hope no. <laughs> uh, but what's stopping that? I mean, that there's there's a question. I mean, how much would it cost to lay? How much would it cost to lay a pipe? X dollars. Well, like put, a, yeah. Putting it this way, if you have a, a wire like a fiber optic cable that breaks for whatever reason, you just go and run another fiber optic. cable. Well, nothing goes wrong if you break an oil oil. Exactly. It? Nothing. Like, ha- nothing goes wrong right. there. Right? We're not talking about like an <laughs> environmental catastrophe. No, we've got. Yeah, it's not something that. Oh, it broke. Well, leave it there. We'll just get another one. We'll just, and we'll, we'll we'll just run, drop down another we'll one. Run yeah. another one. No, if you if you have a, a pipe that is trans- keep it, keep in mind, people. I'm not advocating this. I'm just asking. You, yeah. It's so. A, it's but, a fair question. But no. that actually that that brings me to another question. The, when we're talking merchant, the um, the merchant fleet, mm. oil tankers ver- versus supply ships, Where they're not are. the sa- they're not the same ships. Obviously, uh, no one has very specific uh, specific job, and the other one has while a similar job, 
different different way of going about it. Oil tanker, you have a whole bunch of cargo that needs to be loaded up into this thing as quickly as possible, mm. get it out of there, and then bring it into its next port. Uh, supply vessel, let's say we're talking unwrap, uh, underway replenishment vessel that is meant to supply a, a, a Navy vessel that is underway. Let's say these ships are moving side by side at 20 knots, mm. whatever. Uh, probably ten knots, but Whatever. they they, yeah, they run they run a hose between the two ships so that they can transfer transfer fuel. the fuel from the supply vessel to the navy vessel, and then they start transferring all the all the incidentals like the toilet paper and the soap. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got oh x number of food that needs to be supplied to these guys because you know things don't stay fresh forever. Yeah, and again, it's still cheaper to get it out there on a boat than it is. To fly, to fly it out on helicopters or right. planes or whatever, yeah. A lot of times they will fly it out on a helicopter because it's just logistically it's easy. It's quicker, yeah. 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 But uh, in terms of what's the difference between a supply, an unwrapped vessel and a tanker, tankers ain't designed for that. They Now, just are there – I mean, I'm coming from the perspective of a complete dummy here. Like, are there – in a scenario like what you just said, there's the ship that pulls up next to the aircraft carrier that runs the hose, that runs the line, that supplies the food and everything. Are they kind of like scattered around international water like gas stations or are they specifically dispatched? Like, is there... That I don't know. Like, uh, is there a tanker that's, okay, there's one 500 miles this way, there's one 500 miles that way, and any naval ships that come within... That, that would be a question that, for a naval officer, and I'm sure they wouldn't tell you. They wouldn't tell me either. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, that kind, of, that kind of capability is very specific. Sure. Um, generally, it's really easy to pull into a port, well... It's relatively well, easy yeah. compared to that. Yeah. To pull into a port, just say, hey, I need this fuel. Not a problem. Pull into this port. We'll hook up the hose. We'll get you all topped up. While you're here, you guys need food. You need anything and everything. Mm. Not a problem. We will make sure it's on the dock ready to load when you guys get here. Got it. That kind of stuff. It's much easier to do logistically right there at the pier than it would be to load it up onto either a boat or a helicopter. Mm. Now you mentioned the the company that you work for. You sure. know, we're, we're not we're not disclosing who that company is, but you mentioned that the U.S. merchant fleet across the board is call it north, south, just south, say south of two hundred ships. Mm-hmm. The company, how many companies are there that comprise that two hundred? Are there? That's an excellent question. Are there like four big ones that own everything, or right. are there four yeah. big ones that own one hundred and sixty and like? 50 companies that own the other 40. You know, uh, that, yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. The uh, the big ships, generally it's like uh, less than 10 companies own the majority the lion's of, share of, of, the fleet. of the ocean-going vessels. Domestic fleet. Okay. When we're talking about the American Merchant Marine, we also have to take into account all the tugboats, all that, of the... That bring you the know, ship, yeah. Right, like the, the barges that get moved up and down the uh, the, coast. the coast or the, the rivers. You've got a lot of river boats going up yeah. and down the Mississippi, the Mississippi all the time. Yeah. They're moving cargo, they're moving people, you've got ferries all over the place. So those are all part of the American Merch- Merchant Marine. Marine. So, okay. yeah, you do have a lot of smaller companies that operate those, those smaller, smaller vessels things. or those specialized services. But the ocean-faring ships. Like ocean-faring the, ships. Were the land masses, like the moving right. land masses. The, mo- like. the moving towns, those are owned by a small group of 
of shipping companies. Is that just strictly because of cost? Like, is it just yeah. because these company these ships cost so goddamn much money that you know? Oh yeah, it, um, it's not only the operation costs; it's also all that goes into it. Like, let's say you want to open up a small business. Mm. You not only need to get the property and all of the supplies to run the business, you also sure. need to jump through all of the hoops that the regulatory agencies are going to require of you to get, you know, the cert- sure. certificate to do it. We do the same thing. And the certif- certification is a cumbersome and expensive process. Can't imagine why. The uh, Now, the so the... Is there, is there one particular company that's just kind of the 800-pound gorilla of those, say, 10? Or is there are they relatively well-balanced between, between them? I'm just kind of curious about how like how, how top-heavy is this industry? Like, um, there are – well, I, I don't claim to be an expert in, in, the, in the industry. I just know what I know sure. based on my years of experience. Sure. There are a handful that are huge. Huge, okay. Because, because like, you know, the telecom companies, they, they buy up a lot of the smaller, smaller companies. Smaller ones, yeah. My company was recently bought out by a bigger company. Okay. We are still an American, you know – American company, but you know, part of the company is owned by a, a different company, just because hey, they said you guys are, you guys are now under us, so we are going to extend to you all of our, you know, uh, all of the deals that we've worked so hard to get. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Sure, we'll take it. will take the work. Sure. Yeah. Um, the size of that fleet is roughly what the you you and now your umbrella company like that the, the size of it's it's huge. I don't even know the no the are they it's, it's over over hundred probably less than two hundred. Um, not all ocean fare like the, not that, all that, ocean that's what fair. I that's kind of what I was getting at is like the nature of these companies. You mentioned like there's the tugboats, there's the ferries, mm-hmm. there's the. There's the river boats. There's the right. fa- yeah, like all, all this plus I'm, ocean faring. Right. I'm talking primarily ocean faring. Sure. That's what I know. Sure. Uh, the but like these companies aren't these these companies aren't super spe- like these larger companies. Like say for example, one of them doesn't own a hundred ocean faring ships, and that's it. Like they own ocean faring. They also own some ferries. They also own some tugboats. They also own some like like. Or are they highly specialized? Generally speaking, they a lot of these sh- shipping companies stay pretty specialized. If they do start branching out into different things, you have to have different departments. Like sure. my my company uh, deals primarily with containers. Okay. So if I'm going to going to make the arrangements to pick up cargo from here to here, that means I have one one department that. That keeps an eye on this kind of cargo. If I was branching out into tankers, I'd have to have a different department. So, uh, general, I, I can't speak for all companies, but I'm going to say it gets it gets complicated when sure. you're having to deal with you know different kinds different of different types of right cargo or different types of ships. With these ships, with these shipping companies that are huge, they've got enough money to diversify, so they they sure. do what they need to do. So. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. Like I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out the nature of the industry as it apply, as it applies to the Jones Act, but as mm-hmm. it applies to just sort of commerce in general. I'm curious, like the, like how, like how specialized or how controlled, like from trying to look at it from both sides of sort of the economic political perspective, like how monopolized are these operations versus how diversified are they? That, that's that's like, a good question. Like, do, like do, there's a company that owns all of the seafaring ships, and then there's one company that owns all of the tugboats, which is to say 
the company that owns all of the tugboats, is like, I don't care how many ocean-faring ships you've got, unless you pay us 500% of what you're giving, right. you're not going to get a ship into port, there, ever, anywhere. There, there, there like, is not a Walmart. That's like what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, like, they, we, we don't have someone who just kind of elbows everybody else out. Okay, that's what I'm trying to get to. Like, I'm trying right. to, fi- yeah. A lot of, a lot of companies main, maintain their market share by undercutting the, the big the big guy. Big guy. Okay. And when it comes to small, you know, small pieces of the market that they're not all that worried about, yeah, they say, you know what, you go ahead and take what you sure. Want. Like we're able to maintain we, yeah, a profit can... with all the stuff that we do. Okay. So, yeah, uh, there is there is fierce competition in the in the shipping industry. Everyone's trying to figure out which which niche they can get to that no one else is getting. Uh, part of the, part of what, um, a lot of anti Jones act people have, uh, against, um, you don't have to be nice. It's fine. People don't like the Jones act because it forces American labor on American ports, which includes, uh, Puerto Rico, which includes Hawaii, which includes Guam. Guam. Okay. These are, these are small ish locations that. Unless you have a lot of cargo going in and out of there, you're which not they going, don't, because you're not going to attract the the WalMarts of the of the shipping industry. Mm-hmm. They're they're going to say, hey, unless you make it worth my while, I'm not going to come here. So they yeah. have to. Get if I'm the, dropping off five million laptops, it's going to be cheap. If I'm dropping off fifty, it's not. It's going to be not extreme, extreme, extremely expensive. Yeah. So at that point, it pays to have you know a smaller company come in there and do what they need to do. But if you have a smaller company, they're going to charge, charge more, more yeah. because yeah, it's it's the nature of the beast. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people say, oh well, we should have you know done away with the. Uh, with the Jones Act, when when things went down in Puerto Rico after the hurricane, well, they, that's where it came up. To, that's how that's right. how when it first kind of hit my radar. People just use, like the rest of the population, I'm sure. Right, people use like, Wait a second. incidents yeah. like that to make their argument against the Jones Act, saying, "Oh, we shouldn't have the Jones Act because of this." Like, wait, hold on, hold the phone. You can you can apply for a waiver where we can have any and all ships pull into Puerto Rico if they're if they're Carrying, you know, emergency supplies. Mm. The downside is you still need to pay for those emergency supplies. Someone needs to pay for these shipping companies who, mm. even if they're operating more cheaply than American labor, they still have to get paid. Sure. It's not going to be for free. So that's one of the things that people turn to and say, hey, this is... See, look. This, this scapegoat is the reason why we we have to pay all this money to yes you would probably pay a little bit less but you'd still have to pay for the goods yeah. you'd have to pay for the it's still not free you're, you're it's not, not it's not free versus right like it's not free versus a lot it's a little less versus a lot right I've, yeah i've heard people make the argument that things in in hawaii cost a lot more because compared to the continental u.s well of yeah of course because you have to ship it you don't you can't yeah. just shove it in the back of a truck and get it from point A to point B yeah. overnight it has to get on a on a ship and yeah the the ships that do a lot of business going into uh, going into in out of Hawaii and Guam and and Puerto Rico a lot of them aren't these huge ships some of them are smaller feeder ships I was actually gonna ask that the the so let's use Hawaii as an example okay um, because my, my wife actually got a job offer from 
Hawaii. Uh, we're not going because we don't want to pay 500% for everything that we currently spend our money on. But that's neither that's neither necessarily related to the shipping or it might be related to the shipping. We'll get into that later. But whatever. But the, the for, for products that are coming over from China to the United States... Mm-hmm. They're coming across the Pacific Ocean. They're passing. They're passing by Hawaii on their way there. Yeah. The the laptops that are getting shipped. The app. The Mac laptops. The MacBooks that are getting shipped from China yeah. to U.S. They don't stop along the way. They drop don't. off the Hawaii ones and then keep going. They or they, do they? Can they? Do they? They? Can, they can. It depends on what the sh- what the ship's run is. If a ship is set up to go from. China to Hawaii and stop in wherever, mm-hmm. then great. Uh, my my company doesn't doesn't stop in Hawaii. We will go straight to California or yeah. down down through the canal and right. You know, we'll coast, we'll yeah. stop in China. We'll pick up you know whatever and drop it off in a in U.S. California port because yeah. that's where the majority of the business is. They've they've worked it out. Now if there's if there's business to be had over in Hawaii, they'll stop. Hey, great, they'll stop. They'll make arrangements. But for the most part, again, like I said, what when it comes to the the schedule, the schedule is what people are paying for, the reliability. Yeah. If you have a regular route going into this port and this port and this port, you're gonna stick with those because that's it's reliable. That's reliable. It's reliable and it's cheap. Yes. Yeah. And if you can prove that you're reliable over a long period of time, you get pay, you get paid that much more. Yeah. So um yeah, there are ships that regularly pull into Hawaii from from the West Coast. Do they pick up cargo that has come from China over to California and then, and then back? back to likely? It's yes. likely, yes. Yeah. So that but there goes there 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 comes the extra cost. There comes some of the extra costs. So, yes. Okay. So, like I said, where do some of the other costs come from? Like, say for a, like you you talk to people that live in Hawaii, like. Everybody that I know that li- that either ha- lives or has lived in Hawaii, they all say the same thing. It is an absolute paradise that costs five times more for everything. Why? Shipping, shipping, you know, the additional shipping cost is part of it. What are the other parts outside of the fact that, you know, it's a walking paradise? Put that aside for a second and just sheer, you know, market, like market demand. Like why are things so much more expensive there? Uh, the problem is because it's such a small market. It's it's a decent sized market, but it's still it's compared it's small, to yeah. compared to compared California. to mainland US. <laughs> yeah, right. sure. Like the amount of goods that come through the ports of Long Beach, mm-hmm. uh, Long Beach, California, because things go from all over the world into there, get put on trucks, get put on trains, trains, and get sent all over the continental U.S. That's a lot of business that comes through there. Compared to Hawaii, Hawaii, it's not as 5,000 cars a year, or making up a number, but like, yeah. Let's say they they sell 5,000 cars a year. Yeah, the mainline U.S. sells how many? Way more than that. Tens of million or whatever. Yeah. Part part of what what you're paying for is the specialized transportation. If Mm -hmm. they were on a regular route, if we had lots of cargo coming through Hawaii on a regular basis, the cost of shipping things there would be a lot lower. Because sure. Yeah, because they... They have a lot of business going through there, and you know everyone yeah. wants a piece of it. So yeah. we we all need to start undercutting each other to make it competitive, yeah. so that we can we, we can, can grab that market, yeah. right? 
if there's not a lot of business going through there, then the big big boys aren't going to do it. Yeah, and it's not worth their time. Exactly. And they do it the cheapest because they have, yeah. Because they have so much money coming in from yeah. the copious amounts of business. Because I assume a, tw- a, a, a crew of 20 on a ship that's, you know, 1,100 feet long and the 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 crew the crew of a ship that's eleven hundred feet is twenty. The crew of a ship that's three hundred feet is probably still twenty. It's somewhere around here. Yeah, like say like because the operation of the ship is still roughly the same and with it being a, with them being private industry, they're run fairly lean. Mm-hmm. So it's like twenty is tw- twenty. I mean yeah. twenty is twenty. Like to get to get below that is probably pretty difficult. So it, it costs more for a small ship to get somewhere than when you've got two boats next to each other that effectively have the same overhead, short of fuel cost, really. Right. You know, short of fuel cost, one of them can can, can carry 15,000 containers and the other one can carry 500. I, it's if, if, you're, if you're crossing an ocean or you're only crossing half of an ocean, that's still, yeah. still a dangerous place to be and you need to pay people to, well, to do that job safely. Is it, that... A, for for people that aren't into this industry, or for anybody that for people that are listening that are say younger mm. and handy, like is this an is this an industry still to this day that you think that you recommend that people you know investigate for a career? Um, it's an excellent question. Uh, if you're if you're handy, if you are you know looking for a looking for a career where you have the ability to see some really cool places. And learn some some very good skills. Yeah, go for it. Look into some of the uh, into some of the unions, like the seafaring unions. They will send you to school so that you will have the basic information you need to get on board a ship and say, "Hey, I've never done this before, but I know how to put a put a life jacket on. I know how to start up a lifeboat. Can you teach me everything else? You can. You can do that. You can is Merchant Marine Academy a necessity? No. Uh, if you want to start out as an ordinary seaman, you can get the basic information from one of the unions by signing up, paying your dues, and getting on, getting getting on a board. Um, if you want to start out your career as one of the officers, you need to go to one of the one of the federal one of the academies. There are a bunch of maritime academies. There's United States Merchant Marine Academy that I went to. There's New York Maritime, SUNY Maritime. Uh, there's Mass Maritime. Uh, they all sound like they're in New England. <laughs> the, the, there's there's Mass in Maine. There's uh, Texas A and M. Okay. And there's uh, California Maritime. Okay. You have options. If okay. you want to go to one of the state schools, you're going to pay for it. If you want to go to the Merchant Marine Academy, you're paying for it by putting in eight years in the Naval Reserve afterwards. Got it. So no tu- uh, no tuition. You pay with your time. Right. Got it. It's. The analogy I want to do is the uh, is the military. If you want to get into the sure. military, you start out as a private or you know whatever the the, the base level uh, enlisted level is. For like whatever. if you're starting out as an E one, right? Yeah. If you're starting out as an E one, you can walk in without having done anything. If you want to start out as an O one, you got to go to one of the academies or something to get that. Same thing with the uh, with the merchant marines. If you want to start out as an officer, be it a third mate or a third engineer, you've got to go to school for it. Okay, and that school program is how long? Uh, four like, years. That's four years. Okay, yeah. so it's college. It's college. Yeah. Okay, you're go- you're going to college to get the skills to go out to sea. Do you have to go out to sea? No. 
Like if every kid who went to one of these academies went out to sea, we, we'd run out of jobs real quick. Mm-hmm. There, aren't, there aren't enough jobs to hire all these people. Yeah. So a lot of guys, they, they look into it. Uh, the place where I went to school, they sent us out to sea as cadets, as students at the school. We were sent on board merchant ships where we got a, a taste of what it's like out at sea. The guys who go to the, the uh, state schools, each of the state schools has their own vessel. Mm. And they go out as a school with their teachers and all their classmates, oh, and they learn okay. while the ship is underway. So you know, different different ways different style out. of training, sure. But you each each school is coming. You're coming out either as a an officer of the deck or officer of the engineering department. Okay, gotcha. So if you want to get into the industry, it's it's different. I'll tell you right now, it's it's a different lifestyle because, as we mentioned earlier, I used to go out to sea for about three or four months at a shot, and I would ex- describe it to people as it's Groundhog Day. I'm living the same <laughs> day over and over and over again, yeah. and then when I come home, you realize a season has gone by and okay. everyone has gotten four months older. Meanwhile, I feel just as immature as the day I left for sea because I just lived the same day over and over. Um, yeah. It, so it's a great way to stay young. Yeah. At least feel young. At least feel young. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the, the pay is good because you're paid for being away from your family for, for half the year. Sure. If you're okay with that, yeah, go into it. It's it's assuming you're assuming you're able to maintain a family. That is one of the downsides. There you've are, got a you know you you obviously have a you, like you have you have a woman that was not a fan of that idea long term. Right, that's not everybody. I'm sure. Sure. As I, but what would you? I mean, what would you say for 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 the guy for the guys that are in this? Oh, by the way, speaking of which, yes, the, meaning colloquially. The guys, what's what's sort of the breakdown of, of, of how many women it, are in the industry? Is it still is it still almost exclusively men that are on these ships? No, I will say uh, generally it's about ten percent women 10%, on okay. board the ships. Um, I I have I have never never seen anyone being sexually harassed out at sea because it just doesn't pay. Sure, you you, you everyone has to be professional about these things. And sure. It, your your livelihood is at stake. So not to mention the the water's deep a little deep over there. Right. You know if you if you found out to be something of a dick part. You know the water's a little deep out there. Right. You know. it, <laughs> don't get me wrong. There are people who are jerks and they get put up on harassment charges. For That's sure. not necessarily sexual harassment, but for sure. Yeah. Uh, there are there are women out at sea. And okay. Generally speaking, I I've met a lot of a lot of capable people out at sea doesn't matter what your gender is you do the job great sure we're we're good to go yeah it was like the sewage it was like the sewage is spilling into the engineer's cabin mm-hmm. can you stop it exit okay he's like can you stop it i don't give a crap what you look like he's like he's like, <laughs> You're like hey, hey hey third engineer yeah yes i'm talking to you yeah, i need like, you to go fix the sewage he's like is this because i'm a woman no this is because you're the third because you're the third engineer yeah it's right. like like he's like you climb across the ceiling like a monkey and go clo- go close that you know close go that close that valve. that valve yeah he's like you're he's like is it because i'm a woman no it's because you're the smallest one and the fastest one right like we, you can fit through the hole 
<laughs> we we've got a lot of a lot of uh, people out at sea who are you know good at some things. Some people are better at other things. Whatever. We're all on this. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. Yeah, and you're, literally, yeah, literally. Yeah, they they have a, a phrase: one ship, one crew, one shaft, one screw. We are all in this together. And if something's going wrong with the ship, it affects all of us. Yeah, so. it's only twenty of you. Yeah, yeah it's like it's it's not like like you mentioned. It's not like it's an aircraft carrier with five thousand five thousand sailors on board. Right. Yeah. When if if something's going wrong, it hits everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So it's fun. It's funny. Like so about so about ten about call it ten, roughly ten percent. Yeah, of women. Yeah, that's. <laughs> it's like they're smart. They like to stay home. It's like it's like they like it's like they they like sunshine. <laughs> so, some people realize it's not for them, and that's not you know a, a men or women thing. Some for sure, people they just aren't into it. I knew plenty of people who went to the Merchant Marine Academy like I did. Went out to sea for the first time. Said, "Nope, screw this. Thank you. I'm yeah. done." Yeah, they said, "I have no intention of ever going out to sea." That's that's fine. I I kind of dug it. You know, I played with Legos when I was a kid. They they handed me metal and said, "Hey, weld this together." I was like, "Oh, cool." It's like, "Oh, cool." Lego like adult Legos. Adult Legos. Yeah. <laughs> they, I I found something that I was. And then you I see the like, shipping containers. It's like, oh Tetris. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh Tetris. Like I found something that I was okay at. I wanted to get better at, and something I didn't mind doing. Mm-hmm. If if this is for you, great, go for it. Yeah. I, you know, you you have my support. What's the What's the downside? I mean, but what's the downside of being being in this business? I mean, plenty. It's of I mean, it's like being the being money's the money's great. I don't even say great. Money's good. Yeah, the money is like the money's good. The training is solid. Training is solid. The transferable skills is solid. So if you decide you don't want to do it anymore, you can go be a handyman. You can go learn. You can, yeah. you know, get the get the certificates. As an engineer, I could go do be a plumber. I could go get sure. get my certificate to be a an HVAC sure. uh, technician. I I have options. There are lots of there are people who don't, but you know what. You still you still know something that a lot of people don't know. Sure. Um, the the downside to it is you're away mm. for half the year. Yeah. If you can deal That's with hard. that, it's not just hard for you. It's also hard for your family. Yeah. If you have someone at home who can't stand that you're away, that sucks. You, you need to make a decision. Yeah. Not not all people can deal with that. Yeah. I've known plenty of women who went out to sea, and you know it was hard on their spouses. Yeah. So. Yeah, that that is a big downside. I've known assuming you're in a position to have a spouse before you go out, right? Like in your case, you were on the opposite side of the coin. Like you, I you went into it. Going out to you, you were a bachelor. You know, you were a bachelor going out. Yes, but then again, it may that makes starting a relationship hard. Like how, like how much of a it's it's a big ask to ask somebody that you've been dating for a month and a half to hang around for four goddamn months when you might be able to might be able to talk to them once a week while you're out there. It depends on who they are. Some people are they some people dig it, sure. Some people dig that or some people are they they want you to want them to wait. That that one blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Um if the the current state of technology, you could call home every night. Sure. I definitely emailed if not every every day, then several times a day. Mm-hmm. So the technology's there, where you can keep in touch, you can communicate. It's not like you're you're out at sea and no one hears from you for a month. Mm-hmm. 
we are we are in a, a good age where a lot of people. You're not can, a Navy SEAL. Right. It's like you're not a Navy SEAL lot out on an op. Like I'm, you, I'm, you, I'm not a I'm a submariner who's underwater for yeah. the for know, four for yeah four months or whatever. <laughs> right. No. The, this is those guys are amazing. Okay. Yeah. Those, yeah. Yeah. A lot, lot of respect for those guys who are who are able to do that because they have to. Everyone from the enlisted to the officers, everyone's got to have. Uh, have to go to um, sub school. You got to know about nuclear engineering, and that is impressive. That's how these guys are like some of the some of the top. But um, and it's yeah, it's like being a submariner. Imagine your job as the engineer, who's the guy that never comes above deck, mm-hmm. doing that with less headroom, mm-hmm. <laughs> less headroom, less shoulder room, and never going to port for. For for four to six months, it's and like you, and you got to stand uh, online to take a shower. Oh, uh, uh. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's a it's a yeah, it's uh. a different lifestyle. But yeah. you know, you we uh, we all make decisions. Yeah, we, we all have to figure out what's right for us. And if you if you're in the military and you want you want to be surrounded by people who are at their A game, subs not a bad place to be. Mm. Um. Yeah, da- downside to being being a merchant mariner, you're away. Yeah, and you don't have a whole lot of control about when exactly you're coming home. You mm-hmm. can say, "Hey, I'm due to come home on on this day," but if something goes wrong, yeah, you know, your relief doesn't show up. Sorry, I'm not coming home on this day. Yeah, if the piston shaft snaps when you're in the middle of the ocean. Right. It's I'm I'm coming home a week later. Right. It just it is what it is. You're coming home a week later. Downside. I can't swim. It's like it's like. <laughs> I can't swim here from Guam. I did, right. I can't. I tried. I can't. <laughs> um, down, other downside: it's dangerous. Okay, you're you're in you're in a place where every time you walk down the stairs, there's a lot of stairs, and if you fall down a wooden staircase, okay, that hurts, but at least you'll get up. You you fall down a, a, steel. a steel staircase, oh, it, you're gonna be feeling that. That's hurt. that's far steeper than your typical wooden staircase. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're out at sea, you hurt yourself, you may have a couple of days before you're going to be able to get off and go go to a real doctor and get flown home. Yeah, I assume there's a, me- a medic on board. There's but always... But always they're trained as a medic. As someone who's to... trained in first aid on board. I got trained as, uh, as one of the medical officers on board, so I had to know how to you know administer medicine, give, give shots, you know, how to do, just, yeah. how to do uh, IVs. Okay. Yeah, so... And that's the difference between a paramedic and an EMT, right? From what I from what I recall. So is it like paramedic? So it's like paramedics training you had to go through. Yeah, it was it was not nearly as intense as a paramedics training. Paramedics go for like uh, yeah, yeah. several several months. Yeah, uh, I took like week long class where I had to, and that's that's the other downside. the The medical officer maybe had like a two week class in first aid. <laughs> And that's the guy, and they're responsible for the lives of twenty guys. Yeah, like me, I, I had I had taken an EMT class. I was an EMT for a number of years. I showed up, and they're like, "Oh, here's this, here's this." I'm like, "Yes, I, I know this." Like, all right, we're gonna do we're gonna do shots. We're gonna do IVs. Ooh, okay, something new. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they there are definite downsides to to being out on a ship because you're it. Yeah, you know, you don't you don't call in the cavalry. You're the cavalry. Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of Plan B. Your your Plan A and B, 
So you got to be ready to step up when did you ever did either you ever or how frequently does it happen where there's incidents of say piracy or or attempted piracy like does that it happen does that happen as much as you know people that like to blow everything in the world out of proportion it depends on what happens or for yeah I would imagine Um, there are certain parts of the world that are get they're dealing with a lot of piracy let's say known for yeah yeah. the uh, the area off the off the coast of uh, Singapore, the Strait Malacca Straits, they they've been dealing with a lot of piracy because a lot of shipping comes through there. It's kind of funneled it's into funnel. this okay. this one area. It's so like, the ships can't get yeah, they can't maneuver. They can't get around. They yet. can't they can't you know steer around it. They've got to go straight through this one area. So people you know get on board and they'll pry open a container, steal whatever they can, and hop off. And if you didn't catch them, then, oh, well, they got away scot-free. Over in uh, the Red Sea, Indian Ocean area, right off the coast of Somalia, Mm -hmm. that area in the past 10, 15 years kind of blew up for piracy because a lot of the the fishermen were out of work. Um, There was a lot of international fishermen who would come in just – Take, they yeah. would they would take all of the fish out of this area and then leave. Yeah. So they, they, they they're not selling it in that market. There's right. no money in that market. Right. So. so they were they were fishing these guys out of house and home, and suddenly you have these guys who know how to handle a boat have nothing. They're starving. They have no other options, so they turned to piracy. Hmm. They got on board a ship and said, "We will let you go once you give us a million dollars." And the shipping company was like, man, we're losing a million dollars, you know, by not having the ship. Yeah, we're, we're well, losing we're losing a million dollars every six hours that you're parked there. Right. So, Get the hell, yeah. So they uh, they got their first payment from, from the ransom charge and they let the ship go and they started making more money from there. It's, uh, it's not pretty, but it's, it been, happens. it's been happening. It's yeah. been happening more because these people were starving. Yeah. And it's interesting that that that's the side of that's the side of those news reports that you never hear. It's like all all we hear about is, oh my god, there's piracy. Oh yeah. my god, the pirates. It's like there's yeah you know, there's these people that are taking over these ships at gunpoint. Yeah. Why? Why are they? Like, yes, everybody. Everything has a reason because like, the job that they had before, yeah, literally dried up. They, well, it's it's the it's similar like the like the concept the concept of uh, wildlife preservation. People talk about the the. I when it, when it comes to like the political persuasion, like I'm, I tend to lean like I'm libertarian, classical liberal, sort of leaning in a in a leaning right some ways, leaning left some ways. Sure. Most people are. But Most people are, but they, they don't, don't agree. Yeah, yeah they, they don't. They don't admit. To that. They don't admit it, or yeah. or at the very least, the ones that would admit it don't say anything because they're busy playing with their kids and going to work. Fair enough. You know. It's like because they they've got more they've got in their opinion more important shit to worry about. That's true. Yeah. Um, but that but when you come when it comes to the like preservation of wildlife, people think it's like okay, these large scale say these these hunting organizations that basically effectively like ration out cards to hunt, sure. whether it be these big game deer and, or de- whatever deer, or even talking about in Africa where you're talking about like the elephants and the rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. Lions. This yeah. has been a, this has been an issue with the news of late. Sure, you know the you, you th- people think that it's evil that these massively rich people are going over here and shooting these animals, 
Meanwhile, that there's another side to it. There's another side to it. This rich guy just paid a million dollars to the local community mm-hmm. to do this and killed an animal that he can't eat. That animal is fed to the local to the local, you know, the local tribesmen that and that animal may have been you know harassing the the local community. That was, that and was they, the, they pointed out to say, okay, you're allowed to kill this one, this one, this, this only one. that one, right? Like, yeah, like, we've got it tagged. You're you're welcome to do it, but you need to pay pay money that's going to go into our local economy. Yep. and then that's the side that's the side of that argument that you don't often hear. It's right. like, well, but then you they so a lot of these international organizations will push for no, we have to preserve these animals. We have to preserve these animals, and then they get rid of the local. Hunting, and then all the people, all the people that are, all the locals that were staying away from these animals because these animals were money. Like these yeah. animals were money in the bank. Like yeah. the, these local communities survived because of these rich sons of bitches that came over here mm-hmm. to pay to hunt these animals. Sure. You know, now you've got a community of five thousand people that are starving to death. What do they do? They start poaching yeah. and killing the animals. For nothing, anyway. it, like it, like the animals die anyway. It yeah. just it, there there's two there's two sides to all this stuff. Absolutely. So, um, so back back to the Jones Act. Jones Act was set up to to make sure that we had we had this merchant marine thing, mm-hmm. something that most people never hear about unless they live on one of the coasts and have direct knowledge of it. Yeah, they're right. in a shipping town. Right. Yeah. Most people are unaware that. Anything they have that says made in somewhere other anywhere than else the US <laughs> yeah. got here because of a ship. Mm-hmm. And when you when you realize that the the shipping industry is as massive as it is, and if we ever needed to utilize that for something that we couldn't ask anyone and everyone else for, yeah. to, to use, it makes sense to say, okay, we're going to have this merchant marine, even if it's small, we're going to have the basic amount of American flag ships, American mm. owned ships, American crewed ships that we can call up and say, listen, guys, it's time of war. Yep. Shit hits the fan. We need, we need you. you. Yeah. That's, that's something that you can ask any merchant mariner and they'll be like, oh, yeah, if Uncle Sam called up and said, hey, you know, go. the Nazis are back, you need to go, go do something right yeah. now. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna go, yeah, and we need you to go for, go for less money. Like, oh, all right, all right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, people during time of war, like the greatest generation, everyone, you know, tightened their belts mm-hmm. and did what they needed to do. The people who couldn't go to war, they they did what they could. Everyone tried to contribute, even mm-hmm. if it meant you know shutting off your lights at night. So at night. We, yeah. So that we could preserve fuel or whatever, like that kind of stuff. People will do what needs to be done when when they feel they they have to. Now, I I worry so, I worry so much in the current state of like in the current state of where we are so. politically, like in sure. in the current state of the political process. I worry. I it's like I'm a, I'm a cautious optimist, mm-hmm. like. I like to think that that's still true, but I wonder if it is, because if, oh, if because <laughs> because I wonder now. Like, are do we live in a world right now where that sounds great and that's true for half the country? Because it depends on who's well, asking you to tighten your belts. No, you're you're you that's, make a valid point. That scares the living shit out of me. Yeah. The 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 where we are right now. What worries me so much about the current state of 
the public discourse is exactly that. It's I I don't care what the issue is or how much people disagree. When the shit hits the fan, the the history of this country is okay. Pause. We've got shit. To, to, we've got shit that we've got to take care of. Yeah. We can get back to bickering later. Right. It's so much more. It's so bad now. But then again, you know, it was pretty goddamn bad in 1968. Yeah. I mean, like it was pretty goddamn bad in the 60s. Presidents were getting shot. Like it's true. major national figures were getting shot. Yeah. By people from here. Mm-hmm. Like that's not happening, you know. That's not happening today. That's why I say I'm a cautious optimist. Knock on wood. Yeah, it was like that's not ha- that's not happening today. Th- you know, th- things were pretty bad. Things were pretty bad in the 30s. Things were pretty bad in the 1850s. Like, but you know, we survived. So. We did. We we did what we needed to do. Plus, we we kind of got away from some of the some of the nonsense. Like World War One came about because. Oh well, you're mad at him. Well, I'm on his side. Well, I'm on his side. Well, I'm on, and suddenly and then, everyone starts everyone's sides at war. Yeah, just because we were all, you know, we were all supporting our our one guy. Meanwhile, the the voice of reason wasn't there. No yeah. one said, "Hey, hey, hold the phone. We can we can work this out." Um, yeah, there was. <laughs> I one of one of my favorite Batman movies was uh, was Dark Knight, where you know Joker said Joker said these civilized people they would eat each other given the right push. It's like, oh my god! I I hope that I not hope that's true. not true. But and in the movie they they showed you know even the the criminals wouldn't stoop to you know to that level. to that level. And yeah. I I would hope that. That's that's the case. I, mean, I hope that that's the case too. When when September 11th happened, I was up in New York, and I oh, was wow. I was living I was living out on Long Island. Best place for me to see Manhattan was was Kings Point. I went over to school. It was shortly after I had graduated. Mm-hmm. I went over there, and they they said, "Hey, we're sending in sending in our our boats. Like any any vessel that we have is a government vessel, and we're going to go help. We're going to go do whatever something." Yeah. And we're going to hang out in the water until someone tells us what tells us to do something. We we uh, took on the responsibility of uh, of ferrying people from Manhattan, the island, off. out of because a lot there were a lot of uh, bridge and tunnel people. Oh sure, a lot of people who worked in Manhattan but lived elsewhere. Sure, and after like five people can afford to actually live in Manhattan, right? So the, like nobody lives there. Yeah. After the towers came down, all of the all the bridges and tunnels were shut down, and people were stranded. Yeah, so, they couldn't get out. Yeah. And we had a lot of uh, emergency crew people who were in Manhattan who needed to get home to Brooklyn and Staten Island and mm-hmm. Jersey. So we were the there's way. emergencies elsewhere too, right? And yeah. So we we got these people, we ferried them, and I had I had people call me and saying. Tell me you're nowhere near this. I said, no, I'm, I'm doing something. Yeah. There were so many people who wanted to, wanted to be able to help. And I was, yeah. wasn't doing much, but I was doing something. You were something. Yeah. Right. After September 11th happened, there were, there was an influx of blood donations. People wanted to help. I was, I remember I was, I stood in those lines. Yeah. That, that was great. Yeah. That was inspiring because people put away their pettiness for a moment and said, for the greater good, I'm willing to sacrifice what I can. And I'd love to think that if the chips were down, we'd do the same. We would put our bickering aside for a minute and just say, 
I know we have our differences, but when it comes down to it, we're on the same page, we're on the same planet, we're in the same country, we're in the same town. Let's do what we need to do. Yeah, I wonder is like I I wonder if we need an emergency like that. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that that only really seems to happen in the case of an emergency. Like is that does that kind of just kind of does that get back to our tribal nature of part of we only like, unite when we're in when we're when there's a threat like the, otherwise frankly we're, bo- we're like are are we as higher primates naturally inclined to fight so if some if we are not fighting someone else we're just going to fight ourselves look at look at teenage boys that are off at a boys camp by you know in a, you know in a dorm they they, they go all lord of they the go, flies yeah they go yeah. lord of the flies and they fight it just but then but you, you get the guy that. you get the guys in the barracks that are next door they come over and try to steal the soap mm-hmm. The two guy, the two kids that were just at each other's throats, they turn and go and beat out, beat the other guys out of the room. Right? Like, do we need? Like, is it is it genetic? Do you no, think? Do you no. think it's for, genetic? For, like, what do you think? You for know? every incident of that, you're going to hear about you know the the lone lone guy and the who accidentally gets put in the women's dorm where they don't stand for that kind of nonsense. They yeah. say, hey behave yourself or we're kicking you out on your ear yeah and then you get another guy who accidentally gets set up in that dorm and he starts trying to fight the other guy and suddenly all the women smack him and say hey leave him alone yeah that kind of stuff happens yeah you know is it is it the environment yeah i think part of it is someone someone hits another person and they get away with it and they think oh well this is the way well this is the norm this is this the, is norm. the new norm yeah. right but if you if you start something with someone and you don't get away with it oh okay that's the paradigm yeah i understand yeah that's part of what we've chosen as a society the societies we we have traditions mm. but what traditions we keep and what ones we let fall by the wayside say a lot about our values that's true you know do we do we choose to you know keep a keep a tradition of uh, of doing something that people don't like or do we choose choose to say hey we're better than this let's you're being you're being skillfully non-committal i am because i have very specific <laughs> ideas in my head and i'm i'm trying to keep it vague or keep it broad <laughs> saying you know if if we choose to Choose that we can do something better. Just because something has been done for a long time doesn't mean that's the way it ought to be. Sure. You know, oh, this is the way it always has been. BS. Sure. We can do better. We can change. We can figure out something that works better. Sure. But sometimes it takes leadership. Sometimes we can't do that, you know, individually. Sometimes we need someone who will say, hey, everybody follow me. We're going to do this. But we do have to talk. But it... Everything needs to be a discuss. Every everything needs to be in a discussion, and there always needs to be perspectives. Like varying perspectives, always need to be given a fair shake because discussion's a great thing. Getting back, getting back to the concept of the Jones Act. Yeah, sometimes those traditions are in place for a reason, and mm-hmm. even though it looks like based on modern day, something might seem arcane, there's actually a reason for it. That right. Hope to Christ we never need to test. But in the event of XYZ, sometimes these baseline traditions that might have been around for 200 years, maybe, just maybe, they're there for a reason. And if you ditch, if they're ditched because it's politically not popular today, sure. 
that that that's that's where that's where I always fall with with regards to with regards to these issues is I don't care how wild and insane somebody might sound, mm. all perspectives need to be heard and then sure. need to be discussed. If they're really, really, really offensive or stupid or both, you can say so. You can mm-hmm. say so. You can say so. You'll sound like an idiot. And the people that are around that are listening will realize that you sound like an idiot. And they also have the right to tell you, sorry, that sounds offensive. Yeah. And not an intelligent way of going about it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But when it, when it comes to any law, anything that someone took the time to put pen to paper or type something up, generally those laws are written in blood. Something yeah. Bad had happened, happened to make that before someone said, "I'm going to make it so that every vessel, every ship, let's call it the Titanic, has enough lifeboats for every man, woman, and child on board." Have you have you heard the uh, some of the recent information that came out specifically about the Titanic? Interestingly, mm-hmm. by the one about how the they fire. thought there was a fire in the one, fire of, the, in the, in one the, of the hoppers. Yeah, they thought the there was a. A fire that was continuing to burn For in one weeks of the beforehand, uh, yeah. right, which would have an, a, a long-term effect on the structural integrity of that all the girders associated with that area. So, if and any, then about the, the like the officer that had the key for. Did you hear about this for the, for the binoculars? So there were no binoculars. Yeah. Like, yeah, they were at sea at full at full steam. They were at full, steaming at full. Mm-hmm. And we were nope. saying earlier, oh it, every God. every accident that happens, there's a chain of things that went wrong. Yeah. and if any one link in that chain hadn't happened the whole thing could have been avoided oh for sure and oh, yeah, yeah we we were talking about that and you know we, we were talking about that before we went on air about how that's true but they it's we 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 try to live as if you know the 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 cliche of you know oh hindsight's 2020 it's true it's true it's like that that situation like if if there is if it wasn't oddly warm that particular month that iceberg is not there, right? Or, or at the very least, it's six miles away. Yeah, it's six miles further south, and it's not it's not an issue. Or if the uh, yeah, if 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 you know, like there's you know, someone wrote down the Jones Act, saying that we've been burnt in the past. Mm-hmm. We were caught with our pants down, and we don't ever want that, that to, to happen, happen again. again. How do we? How do we? fix this from happening well we have to write up this thing it's not going to be very popular for for this reason or this reason but we believe that we believe it we believe that the the greater good is at stake and you know there are a lot of people in in my industry who the only reason the industry is around is because of the jones act Mm -hmm. if we had foreign vessels running up and down the mississippi river because you know, there was because only, it was cheaper. Because they can, and because it was they cheaper. Can, it's cheaper. You know, they they can do it, but can we, no? We need to regulate you. No, we're foreign flag. We're foreign flag. You, you know, know you, you can't touch. It. Yeah, right. Yeah, like you can touch us to a point, but ultimately we can choose to leave and never come back here. Yeah. So yeah, and if we've got if we've got crap that we've got to ship from Chicago down out to, out to down to New Orleans. You need our ship, and if we're not going to come back for and like you mentioned, how schedules are the thing. It's like yeah. this is this is where boycotts or you know strikes or tariffs become you know a hammer. That, that's where the that's where these things become you know turn into a hammer. Yeah, it's like we we it's like delay delay all international seaborne American ships for six hours. 
just six hours. Oh, sure. Just imagine what the hell that would do to the global economy. Oh, just, yeah. The, the global economy would take a hit, make no mistake. For I a mean, six-hour delay. The, yeah. I, I remember reading about a, a strike that the, uh, the um, drawbridge operators had. Oh, yeah. The guys up in, up in New York... Who ran operated all the all the drawbridges? They all took a walk. They they were asking for increase in wages, and the local government said no. They said fine. They raised all of the drawbridges for a couple of hours. Said no one's going anywhere until you come back to the negotiating table. They came back because no one knew how to lower these drawbridges. It's not like you go up over there and just flip a switch. These guys knew how to do it. No one else did. And yeah. That speaks to it. I mean, and that speaks to another political issue that, sure. that I've always been. The the concept of public versus private sector mm-hmm. unionization. Okay. I have a moral problem with that. I want to hear it. Like, well, I, I, underst- I understand you're a, pri- you're a private employee. I am. You know, you're, you're a private employee. You, you walking out on strike from... A company that's shipping iPads. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Air traffic controllers go back to the 1980s. Yep. Drawbridges. Ambulances can't get by. That's you. You can pretend like you're not going to kill somebody because you didn't ship them an iPad. Mm-hmm. Those drawbridge operators could kill someone. They're they're they are they're government employees. They're obligated to protect the pub. They're obligated to protect the public. That's their job. Why should they be permitted to do that? I understand. I understand unionization for the purposes of your sa- for the purposes of salary and fairness and but people will die if that happens. Why should they be permitted to do to use? Trap to use tactics like that when the public when public safety is an issue. If a fire department in New York City says we want more money or we're not going to put out fires, you're murdering. Pe- that's murder. That you're murdering people. How should that be permitted? I'm getting into semantics here, but I'm going to try to answer your question as tactfully as I can. Um, that's a that's a tough tough question. When it comes down to people trying to make a wage. Now, I I understand the argument can be made, oh, they're just being greedy. Like, no, not necessarily. I'm not even making that. I'm not even making the greed argument. I'm making the argument of, like, if you go out on strike from a public safety job, mm-hmm. if there's pub, if public public safety is the only one that I care about, mm-hmm. like if you make post its, I don't give a shit. I get, like I like if 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 Apple if Apple loses ten billion dollars because the because their port the the their subcontractor at the port decided that they don't that yeah. fine, but when you don't put out a fire. And like a school burns down because right that's well, that's an extreme. It is it is it is extreme. But the Jones Act is an extreme example. It's true. It's, that's we we are doing this because God forbid, hopefully, we'll never need it for this reason. That's an extreme example. Uh, the, but the best what, analogy I can come fire up departments with is, there for for extreme examples. That's what they're for. You know why why did we spend so much money on nuclear weapons? Mm-hmm. Like the hope is we never have to use them for sure. Why would would we ever, you know, put this much money into something that we will hopefully never have to use? Same sure. thing with the Jones Act. I agree. You yeah, know, I'm, with, I'm with you. It's it's a public safety thing. If you drop that thing, 
Sure. The idea um, yeah, is... Yeah, no, I'm there. Yeah. Um, why should someone exercise their might? You hope that they don't have to. You hope that they did everything they could to try and say, I don't want to have to do this, but I, in order to show you how serious I am, I'm willing to do it. And that's what Truman did during World War II. He mm-hmm. told Japan, listen, I, I have this thing I can use on you that that's will, going to vaporize a city. Going to vaporize a city. I hope I don't have to use it, but if you force my hand, I'm going to. Mm. That's the the argument I'm going to make on behalf of the you know public transit guys who sure. who went on strike for a couple of hours mm-hmm. to show how serious they are. Like if if you're the mayor of New York and I'm you know this lowly guy who's making. 30,000 a year, I'm asking for 31,000 a year. And you're like, listen, I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. I'm not asking for a lot. You know what? Get out of here. You're not important. I, Excuse I, me? Sure. Right. If I don't know how it went down. I, no, no, no. I, I, I'm, just, I, I'm just using that as an example. Right. You, you, any generic public sector safety regulation organization I, like just the ability for them to walk off of that job, like that's not that's not them walking off the job against the the, the negotiator or across the table. That's the entire public. When you're dealing, that's the entire public. The public has an ex. The public has an expectation that their lives are going to be protected by the police department, mm-hmm. depending on your perspective and depending on your neighborhood. But, but let's they, let's change the change yeah. to the other side of it. Let's say the police department is not paid well. Sure. Let's say they don't go on strike, but suddenly they have... They take other jobs and leave. Sure. People start leaving. Sure. Now, now you're not worried about strike. Now you're worried about people seeking their entertainment elsewhere. Sure. You know, yeah. it's, it's six and a half dozen of the other, but it's sure. the same result. You end up with not having the resource that you need. Sure. So you either ask people to do it for, for unreasonable wages and say, suck it up. Sure. Or you pay them. Sure. You know, you're you're not going to... There are volunteer firemen, but in Baltimore City, firemen are paid. Yeah. They're not allowed... You're not allowed to have volunteer fire in Baltimore City. For right. Any, yeah. Right. These yeah. guys, they, they are paid to do a job, and they got into that job because they wanted to help people. They mm-hmm. wanted to be heroes, and you know what? My hat goes off to them. Oh, I agree. Do, Me as well. You know, how, do they get paid a lot? No, I'll tell you. No. I'll tell you for a fact. Yeah, cops don't get paid a lot. Fire cops don't get paid a lot. Fire, firefighters don't get paid. A, yeah, but at least firemen, you're happy to see cops. You know, <laughs> I know, you, I know, you know see right? a cop walk up your your front step, and you're like, oh, what a, what what's he doing? Either here? either who's dead mm-hmm. or what did I do? Do you have a warrant? Yeah, it's like it's <laughs> right. a, it's either who's dead or what did I do? If you see a cop knocking on your door, mm-hmm. yeah, we you see yeah, you see a fireman, you're like, oh, thank God you're here. He's like, oh, thank God, buddy. He's like, good to see you, buddy. He's right. Like, yeah. Um. Yeah, I, as someone who I mean, who is a member of a union, and I, I get to I get to see both sides of things. Where the the companies are saying you're asking for this. I mean, how what gives you the nerve to ask for su- such a such a high wage or such a you know sure an extra sure when so many people can do it for cheaper? It's like well. Because our people are good. Mm-hmm. You want someone who's good, you got to pay. Yeah. If you want, you know, run of the mill who's probably going to run your ship into the ground, you're going to get what you pay for. 
that but again that I I agree but that again that's private that's versus private. public okay, right. yeah I mean my my argument in the public is if in my in my opinion mm-hmm. if if that's a tactic that's going to be permitted to be used mm-hmm. there should be a case by case in my opinion there should be a case by case situation if someone's on that bridge and dies of a heart attack and an ambulance couldn't get to them frankly somebody should be tried for murder in my opinion, because they they intentionally put that up with no consideration for the public safety, it should be somebody like somebody should has to need to draw a short straw, and is going to have to make is going to have to pay for the life that was lost in a case like that, or the if two airline if two li- airliners run into each other like mm-hmm. the like the two plane like the two ships that you were saying in a True. in a shipping channel they talk to each other they can't talk to each other they run into each other mm-hmm. someone is if responsible. Those, if two planes run into each other, they're somebody's somebody's responsible. Who should be who's going who should be that responsible party? There should be somebody. If you're allowed to if you're allowed to wield a hammer, you need to understand if you break the if you break glass with that hammer, somebody's got to pay for that glass. Mm-hmm. If no one's if if a public sector in the safety in if a, if a safety person in the public sector triggers a strike like that mm-hmm. whose responsibility is that person in charge yeah uh, I I have seen people go to jail for their beliefs uh, sure for, for for example teachers up in up in New York mm-hmm. uh, New York City teachers are not allowed to strike it's in their contract you are you cannot strike okay. you will go to jail if you you strike the teachers union up there, was was arguing for increase in wages or whatever it was they were trying to get. Mm-hmm. They they weren't getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. The the local government said no. Sure, deal with it. You know, I I've given you everything I can. I can't give any more because you know I don't have it. Whatever, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the just, reason, yeah. whatever the reason is, I can't give you what you're asking for. It's like, listen, we're. We are already teachers. We're not making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We put our own money into school supplies. I agree. Come on, I'm married, gotta, married to a teacher. Right, I get it. Like, yep, throw sure. me a bone here. And when nothing came of it, the the uh, president of the teachers union said, fine, we strike. Okay, someone's going to jail. said, I will go to jail. I will go to jail to stand by my belief. And the teachers union, like the whole union gathered around and marched from wherever his school was mm-hmm. across the bridge into Manhattan where he turned himself over to the the police and it's like wow okay so, someone ultimately and if they're in a situation in a situation like that if yeah. there if someone if that does happen then fine yeah yeah, but if that does happen, then fine. We're we're but talking a about cases, a specified, you know, case that you're you're asking sure. about. Someone's but, ultimately responsible. Yeah, but oh, ha- yeah. but how specified? Like how specific of a case is that? For example, I mean, just look at sheer statistics of you know how many millions of people are sitting on those bridges, how many heart attacks are happening. Just statistically, it's going to happen. Like for sure, statistically, it's going to happen. Fair to say, but you so know, you know, it's we, like who we gotta we gotta handle that on a case by case basis. Does yeah. the guy who was operating that one drawbridge is it that bridge, bridge or, or is it the president of that union that called for the strike? Then we start calling in yeah. calling in the lawyers, and they start you know figuring out who's who, job. Yeah, 
who they have the best case against. More yeah. than likely, they don't they don't care about you know the one guy. You know, you're going to yeah. send him to jail for involuntary manslaughter. Maybe, maybe, maybe. but what's it? Yeah, you know, people, you take a chance. Sure, you you take a chance with whatever it is you do. And sure, I'm sure the the consequences were weighed, and someone had to make a call, and they said, "Please don't force my hand." Much like you know, Truman sure. probably said to the, the to the Japanese, Japanese yeah, to the emperor, please yeah. don't make me do, do this. this. Yeah, I I would hope that's how it went down. But I would hope that's go, how that goes down too. Like that, that's, but that, that's the part of those, those things that you never hear about. Right. That, that's what I want to hear about. Cause I want to, oh, sure. cause I want to know. Cause like in a, in the situation like that drawbridge strike, if there were five people that died because of that, did people go to jail because of that? Yeah. If they didn't, I have a, I have an ethical you have problem. A moral conundrum. I have there, a moral yeah. conundrum. Like that. No, like you can argue that no wage is worth a life. Like you can, you like that argument can be made. I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't necessarily agree with that argument, but you can make that argument. Mm-hmm. That is like you making an extra five hundred. You making an extra five hundred bucks every six months is worth my mom's life. Right. It's like ta- not to me, not to <laughs> me, but times five hundred people times two thousand people times five thousand people. Yeah. Somebody needs to do that math, but. If there, if no, if no one is at fault, that's where I have a problem with public safety strikes. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Fortunately, I'm, I'm not in, you know, the public sector. I'm in the private sector, where there, a lot of people are all about nickel and diming. That's for sure how they make their money. Sure, because someone is figuring out every penny they can pinch because it's all profit. Yeah, active. and yeah, because I mean, for I mean, not necessarily to be evil. It's the the it's their job. Yeah, like they're like the these got these these boats are owned by companies that are owned by stockholders. The people that work for the company don't aren't they're not the bottom line right like the the bottom line is oh by the way the public that owns the stock in the retirement plans and in the investment accounts that it's like we do you know it's funny yeah. people get very worked up about the amount of money private companies are far more publicly owned than a lot of people care to admit because these shares are owned in every retirement plan everywhere right you know <laughs> people get worked up about the amount of money we spend on gov- on the you know government spending when it comes to the military yeah we're not just paying for the military you know industrial complex we're also paying for the support mm-hmm. every every shipping ship builder mm-hmm. you know all of the the uh, the companies that fabricate these massive pieces of equipment all the companies that make all of the auxiliary equipment all of that is being supported by the government because if those jobs go away and suddenly we're in a spot where we need to build things you know one a day sorry all the people who had that skill retired yeah you know, or they found found another job, and if you like, uh, what other jobs have you had? You know, in your past, can you go back to one of those jobs today and be just as good as you were? Hell no, you left. No, hell no. People, I'm great at what I do now, right? Because that's what I'm doing now. Job skills are perishable. Mm-hmm. You, if you don't keep up with your skills, they will start to go away. Mm-hmm. And if for sure. I, you know, if I was a great welder ten years ago, maybe I can pick up and do a fair job, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to be as good as I was when I was at yeah. the height of my game. 
That's what they're afraid of. They don't want these jobs to go away, and that's part of what they they pay for. People aren't aware of. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're paying for the support. You're paying to keep these guys employed because if they don't, suddenly all the all the backup that you would need in the event of shit hitting the fan won't be there. Yeah. So, did I answer your question? Yes. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about? We could, we could talk for six hours. I know, right? So, yeah. <laughs> that that being said, I'll I'll give the audience a reprieve. All right. So, well, it was a pleasure. It was awesome. Thank you, Mike, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks yeah, for man. having me. Love to have you back again sometime. Give me a call. Let me know what you think. Yeah, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. I'm really glad that you got to hear that chat between me and Mike Gordon Tennant, one of my best buds. And I really had an amazing time learning about the Jones Act and more about the Merchant Marines in in general. Like, I didn't know a lot of the stuff that he was telling me today, and that was really some interesting stuff. So I hope you got a lot out of it. Real quick before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show in whatever platform you're listening to it on at the moment. And also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Jason Hertzberger. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show and I'll talk to you next time around. You've got this.